Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Topic of Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. I want to ask right off the bat, how many of you are podcasters currently? Show of hands? Couple? Okay, couple, cool. And we'll make time for uh, questions and stuff like that. But as I said in the description, what I like about this panel in particular is that uh, we've got experts that uh, analyze the geek market in a lot of different ways. And I think it's an interesting collective that uh, with their combined directions of where they put their podcasts, we'll have an interesting conversation, as we try to always. Welcome to the ninth annual Comic Book All Star Panel. Yeah! Podcast. Oh, thank you. My name is John Suntris. I host a podcast called Word Balloon, and I will let my distinguished uh, co-hosts introduce themselves, starting with our friend Tim Byers. Yeah, uh, Tim Byers with uh, right in the microphone there, Tim. Yeah. All right, uh, Tim Byers with the Motley Fool, and we do a podcast called One Up on Wall Street. So we look at the financial aspects of the geek market. Heath Corson, I'm a Scorpio. Uh, I am on the Nerdist Writers Panel Comics Edition, which is about the uh, the creativity and business of writing and uh, making comic books. I'm uh, Glenn Weldon. I write about books and comic books for NPR. I also do a podcast with uh, three other folks called Pop Culture Happy Hour, where we try to talk about comics as often as I can get them to. I'm John Mayo with the Comic Book Page Podcast. We do weekly reviews. We talk about what's coming out in previews. I also do number crunching and talk about the sales figures, both on my podcast and also for comic book resources. He'll be joining us a little bit late because he had a, uh, an interview set up. Calvin Reed from Publishers Weekly uh, and PW Comics World More to Come. He does that with Heidi McDonald, who you might know as a blogger as well for The Beat. And uh, Calvin is also an excellent analyst that uh, really crunches the publishing numbers in particular, has a great perspective, and uh, I look forward to him joining us shortly. But in the meantime, I, I am curious about uh, those of you who are media guys and have outlets uh, you know, to kind of do your thing, uh, either blogging or, or whatever. Why did you choose uh, podcasting in addition to what you write online, Tim Byers? Um, Get in the microphone, Tim. All right, right in the microphone. So, hey, yeah, really, what the hell, man? <laughs> um, I, you know, it's it's an additional medium where you can expand a, a bit and uh, talk about issues that you know you may not have the space to write about. Especially when I'm writing online, uh, you know, news breaks, and you want to get something out relatively quickly. You want to do some analysis, but in the online forum, if you've gone. Uh, you know, 600 words, you've gone long, and if you've gone 600 words anywhere else, you've barely started. So, you know, the podcast gives you a, a you know an additional outlet to, to take a look at things in a bit more detail. And I know in our case, uh, people have a lot of follow-up questions that we you know we want to answer about particular businesses because this stuff gets pretty complicated. I mean, you look at the number of, of companies that have some kind of interest in a comic book property, and uh, it's. It's not staggering, but it's getting there. And there's an open question about whether or not that's good. Right. Glenn, on, on uh, the NPR podcast, um, it seems almost like you're a conduit for the geek world to your co-hosts and sometimes are in that position to kind of explain to a wider audience. Was that, is that a fair assessment? Well, they're all geeks. Uh, they're just different kinds of geeks. And uh, the, the show is really an, uh, an outgrowth of NPR. And NPR has this implicit policy. It's never been stated to me, but like we don't diss things. Um, the idea is, I, I see the, the reviewing I do on NPR's blogs and stuff like that as, as curating. This is a great thing. Here's why, as opposed to just reviews. Uh, I, I also have done reviews. I, I publish them elsewhere, because it's just not NPR's Mindset, I guess. The podcast is an outgrowth of that, with that makes it a an ongoing discussion, uh, and so it's supposed to sound like your friends at a bar, uh, just talking about things that they like. With the, we pretend to ourselves that there is such a thing as an objectively good X, and for it to be objectively good, it must meet these criteria. We try to bring some level of critical analysis to it, 
Um, but that's that's what it's for. It, and when, in as much as I bring comics into it as often as I can, it's just because I love them and that's my perspective. That's where I'm coming from. Um, and uh, yeah, so so when we talk about all kinds of superhero movies and like that, I do provide the history, the backstory, uh, to uh, great detail. And uh, everybody, this is Calvin Reed from uh, Publishers yeah. Weekly. for being late. Uh, I was being a reporter. <laughs> you did. Well, no, you're, hey, man, exactly. We're all, we're all screwing around. You're actually working the time, man. No, and I, and, I, and I wanted to get your perspective as well. I mean, you're a blogger, and you're, you're someone that has written for Publishers Weekly long before the internet was a public thing. <laughs> this is true. So, so there was an internet. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. So, so what is, and I was asking the, the other media people as well, like, as far as uh, why podcasting in addition to what you do online and for Publishers Weekly uh, magazine and the such? Well, I mean, really, a, 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 obviously, uh, a great way to extend our content and our, you know, and my opinions, apparently, uh, to uh, an unsuspecting public. No, it, it, it's, um, it was, for one thing, it was also really kind of initiative that our publisher was really interested in. Uh, we felt, we cover, I mean, we, at Publishers Weekly, we cover comics in the book trade. We cover the direct market uh, uh, as well, but uh, we're, we're probably not the, the best, uh, best coverage of the direct market. Um, uh, but we feel like we can extend what we do uh, much further, uh, that we can, can actually basically get to more topics, more issues. Um, uh, my two uh, co-hosts, uh, Heidi McDonald and, and Kate Fitzsimmons, you know, I just have an extraordinary range. Uh, and um, this just really gives us the ability to kind of throw a much wider net about this category that we love. You know, I'm glad that both of you are on here, Calvin and also John Mayo, because I think John does an exceptional job of covering the direct market. And we were even talking about it outside before we came in. Keith and I, and then, you know, giving you your props, John. What is it that made you want to podcast, John? Well, I, I've been reading comics forever and a day. I mean, I've been coming to this show for 30, 35 years. So I just, you know, grew up in a comic culture here in San Diego, loved comics, wanted to go into publishing at one point, so I started chasing down the numbers. And then I had started listening to another podcast that was one of the first ones out there. And on their forum, there was a lot of, well, you know, this one's selling better. I'm like, actually, it's, it's not. It's selling much worse than the one you're saying is selling, you know, better or whatever. <laughs> I corrected them kind of enough. To, it's not like I wanted to be correcting them, but it's like, let's introduce some facts into the conversation. Um, <laughs> For something we are in a comic book podcast. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, my sister tells me that's one of my big character flaws. <laughs> but, you know. Well, she would know. Yeah, she would. <laughs> She reminds me of that on a regular basis. But, you know, I can do articles, and since I've been doing the podcast, I started doing the articles over comic book resources, and there's only so much I can get to in, you know, 1,000, 1,200 words or whatever. Yeah. These days, the episodes I'm doing on the comic book sales are running close to two hours, and I don't think we're just rambling endlessly, but there's a lot of things that are worth talking about in terms of where the, the, the industry is going where certain publishers are going, where they're doing good decisions, maybe not so good decisions, where there are things we think are, are selling disappointingly because of how good we think they are, and other things that are selling almost inexplicably well. I mean, they're good, but are they that good? <laughs> I mean, Harley Quinn's one of those. It's right now the second best-selling title at DC. It's an awesome title. Is it the second most awesome title at DC? No, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Obviously, the, the overall market seems to be thinking it's within the top five at least. So it's, it's What are you guys attributing that to right now? I think it's a combination of it's got amazing art, it's got some good solid stories that have enough payoff per issue that you feel you leave the issue with something good. It's in continuity, which helps, but it's not tied to continuity. So it can have, you know, Poison Ivy guest star and get the, right. the benefit there. But it's also kind of off in its own area in Coney Island doing its own thing. It's also got a lighter tone that you don't see in a lot of the DC stuff. I it's mean, it fun. is it is fun, and that's not what they're known for right now. All right, I'm betting Calvin knows little Annie Fanny. Honestly, I told I told Amanda and Jimmy that. I mean, it's their little Annie Fanny. Yeah. In fact, uh, I think I probably started with my father's uh, stack of there you go. boys under yeah. under the bed. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, is it, was there a question there? Well, I was just going to say that, I mean, that's, I think it's, yeah, this kind of social commentary that they get to do and that it's what comics used to do 
And and I think that we've I think DC and Marvel catering to a very specific audience. It became super all about superheroes and very tight continuity, and they stopped having fun. And Jimmy is all about fun, and Amanda is all about fun. Yeah, and, yeah. and I really think they were influenced by what Will Elder and, and Kurtzman did for years yeah, successfully. I, I mean, it's great art. It's a light tone. It's a fun series. Um, sure. You know, and it also isn't it mostly the atypical DC books that are the ones that are really getting people excited, which might fly in the face of right. where their current philosophy is in terms of the new Fifty Two. Batman, of course, has been topping the list since it started with Scott Snyder. So is that atypical or not? Well, in terms of sales, yes. In terms of content, not so much. It, it's kind of all over the board. And what I'm noticing these days is that Marvel, DC, is titles have shorter uh, shelf lives. Or not shelf lives, lifespans. They'll go 20, 30 issues. They'll get replaced with another volume of what's essentially the same title. Or maybe it's a new take or whatever. Um, so I think they're, the publishers and the creators are trying to find... I don't say the magic bullet, but that one thing that's the right thing for the right audience at the right time. Capture that lightning in a bottle and see if it can repeat. You know, that that's not surprising to me because you see it in television as well, that we're moving away from the, we're just going to go on forever. And now we're going to do, I mean, some of my most, some of my favorite series are limited series, both in television and in comic books now, because there is a clear beginning, middle, end. And because yeah. of that, you can judge it on the sum of its parts. Right. It doesn't feel like, oh, here we go, and now we're gonna we're gonna go on ad infinitum. Right. Um, but you know, we get something like a long Halloween. Sure. And I go, this is great. I get this because it can end. This is what long form narrative of any kind. So soap operas do it too. It's what they deny their main characters, which is the thing that makes a story a story is an ending. And without an ending, you don't have something to kind of round it off and actually make it complete. Yes. And I think that, this is a dumb theory, but I think that nerds like us love adventure, and I think what normals love are stories. Normals. <laughs> so it's like, nerds swim in the lake, it's very dark, it's very murky, we can't see the bottom, but we love it. Normals want to swim in an Olympic size swimming pool where they can always see the bottom, they go in to do the laps and they're out. <laughs> How many normals come up to me and say, give me the bullet points? <laughs> so what do I need to know? Exactly. So what these shows are doing, what limited series are doing, what uh, yeah, are, is all kind of saying, okay, so if this is the time, and it's not just about uh, like the short attention spans, it's no. about telling a story. Yeah. A good old-fashioned story. Yeah. And being able to get to an end, not just of an arc, but an, a solid breakpoint. Yeah. It's, it's about payoff. Yeah. Yeah. Some reason you get to a point in the story where it's like, ah, now it makes sense. Now I, I get why I was reading it or whatever. It was mm -hmm. the climax of the story or whatever. And it doesn't have to be followed by the words, the end. Right. But, you know, you can move on to the next story, continue telling a bigger story as well. But the more of those payoff moments you've got, the more return on investment the reader has, the better the series ought to do. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And we're seeing a lot. I mean, I, I talked to John Lehman about this, that... He doesn't want to do Chew for more than he's got a 60 issue arc for Chew, and when he explains why you know why 60 issues you could go longer, he's like that's the that's the story, that's the story. And when you look at some other great stuff that he was influenced by, that you know Warren Ellis has done or other great series, they're like 50, 60. That seems to be the sweet spot because it does, it's like what you just said. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It has its arcs, and then you're out, and it's a satisfying story, and it's self-contained. But I'm wondering if the 60-issue story, as great as they are, and there have been excellent examples of that in the, from the 90s through up, you know, a couple of years ago, I think we're seeing, and Calvin, I'll, I'll be interested in John, um, some fatigue on some really great image books that have that same model, and as they reach that 24th issue, and we know we've still got two-thirds of the story left to go, um, you know, Morning Glories, Nick Spencer was talking to me about that, and uh, I wonder if what worked for Scalped and Sandman and some of these other examples, if the market is changing, because there is so much product out there, and I do think there is a bit of, not instant gratification, but let's go, let's, let's get to that ending. Yeah, well, you know, it, that's interesting, I mean, uh, if you look at, at, at manga and the, the, the book, I mean, they, those series seem to go on forever, but, but, I, but I do think we're in a universe that's packed with so much uh, content, uh, you know, we are essentially in this new golden age where uh, there's an amazing amount of storytelling and cartooning ability. Um, I personally 
you know, don't get to the end of too many series. I mean, I'm, I, don't, I don't necessarily think I'm the uh, average reader because I'm bombarded with uh, content as well as, you know, content that's just handed to me as I'm walking down the street. Um, but I, I, we were, it's funny, we, uh, we bumped into uh, uh, Kazu uh, Kibushi, who does the Amelie series, and, and, and he's kind of uh, in the area of rounding it off now, and I think it's up there, and this is a book uh, series, and it's, I think it's up to about 10 volumes or so, and, and he talked about how he, he wants, you know, it's been a good run, and he wants a series that will have depth, but that, you know, you can kind of finish. Uh, that this doesn't sort of you know peter out at some point. So I, I, I do think that perhaps that is an issue. But you know, at the end of the day, as you were saying, I mean, in in certainly in the uh, the direct market direct market market among uh, you know, those kinds of fans, uh, this is the kind of storytelling that historically they we that's what they wanted. So I admit it's hard for me to come down uh, another, but I'd say just personally, yeah, there, there, if there is for me an end to how much attention I can go for, even a series that I really like. Heath, I wanted to ask, uh, getting back to the first question. Anybody um, else feel that? Is that the train or is it the big one coming? I think it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Hall H? All, right, All the way, man. That's, that's, that's good. That's fine. If it's just Holly, it's a trailer going by. <laughs> and I wanted to know why. What appealed to you for getting on uh, the Nurse Writers Panel for Comics Edition? Sure. You're you're a screenwriter, and you are someone that is as you get into animation. If you guys don't know, uh, Heath wrote uh, Justice League War, the uh, direct-to-video uh, animated movie, and uh, Assault on Arkham. Assault on Arkham, premiering tomorrow at uh, Ballroom 20. And uh, so. Uh, so come out to see that. It's really good. So yeah, what if I'll tell you, you know, it's funny. I hadn't thought about it until you said something. And, and it, I was going, oh, man, why did I do this? And then I realized it's such a solitary profession. Like, what I do is sitting in front of a screen and squeezing juice out of my brain. And to get together with some other people and talk about that process demystifies it a little bit. And to go, you don't do it this way, do you? And they go, you know, I do it a version of this, or I do it this way. And all of a sudden you don't feel so alone, you know? All of a sudden you don't feel like, I'm the worst person in the world because I, I wait till I'm up against the deadline to actually do my writing and then push like through and stay up for 72 hours and just work, work, work. And you know, it's nice when you have Brian Lee O'Malley who goes, yeah, I do that too. And you go, oh, okay, I don't feel so bad. So everybody on our podcast, we're all writers yeah. one way or another. So it's great, you know, myself, Ben Blacker, Adam Beechin and Len Wein, and sometimes Mark Bernardin, we're all writers. So it's nice to be able to have that experience. And it also brings that when we talk to writers and artists. So we have a sense of what that creative process is like. And we can say, oh, what, what are you bringing new to this character? You know, Batman's been around for 75 years. What are you mining from the character? Where are you pulling from those 75 years that's, that, that's gonna be different? You know, and so it's that kind of stuff that we get to, to bring to it. And it's nice not to feel so alone uh, because it's a very, very lonely profession if you're just not talking to anybody about it. So it's, it's neat to be able to do something like that. Yeah, if you guys haven't listened to it, I really recommend it. It's, uh, you talked about demystifying the writing process, which is exactly what it does in a yeah. very uh, solid way. You know, writers have enough romantic notions about what we do. We don't need more. Yeah. We don't right. need to be told it's mysterious, you must call down the muse. You don't need, what you need is no. step up. How do I do this? Work? Yeah. And that's what, that's exactly what that podcast really does a great job of. Thank and, you very much. And, and by the way. It's, we try to do it very laid back. It's like, I like what you said about sitting around with a bunch of friends at a bar and just talking. So that's why it's not an interview show. That's not why it's not necessarily a, we're just going to do an interview and type up that interview. It's very laid back. It's just, you want to try to get the best from people. Yeah, I understand, and that's certainly what I try to do with word balloons, I, make it more exactly. of a conversation. And, yeah. uh, you know, and coming from Sports Talk Radio, that's what I was hoping to do, is bring that kind of sensibility to the interviews that I do. Yesterday was the Image Expo, and, I, and I'm curious, and Glenn, I want to ask you, um, how again, because of the role that the NPR show plays, how aware are the, the normals, as you put it, 
of what's going on w within Image. I mean, certainly things like Walking Dead and, and some of these other, and certainly right now, God, we got the strain on, on TV and some of these other comic book properties that are finding their way into TV and movies and stuff. But do you find your do you find the normals going after these non DC and Marvel books? I again, they're get, some are coming to them from television and yeah. film. But yeah, how what kind of impact is it really having on them? Uh, you know, the, the people that I talk to at NPR and also people listening to NPR are basically familiar with things that are on uh, TV and in movies. Right. Uh, they don't dig. They don't. Uh, they, you'll get them interested in The Walking Dead with the television show. You'll sure. get them interested in uh, Road to Perdition, you'll get them interested in that. I mean, just in terms of the thousands of people who read comics versus the millions of people who do everything else. Uh, in terms, like I wrote a book about Superman, and I, you know, so much of the book was about the internecine struggles of exactly what's happened in the comics. And big picture, when I talk to anybody, not just my Aunt Faye, anybody about Superman, it's Christopher Reeve and, and, sure. and, and the, 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 George it's still Christopher. It's Absolutely. actually still Christopher. It's still Christopher. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so and, and you yeah. know, I, I'm writing a book about Batman now, and it's it's just all of a sudden everybody was everybody was Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton, and then it switches over to Christian Bale, Christian Bale, Christian Bale, and you want to show them where all that where, where the provenance is, where it comes from, where this thinking is, this approach that he took comes from this. They don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, because uh, Eric Stevenson in his keynote address, and those are always like the most interesting part of the image expos, is when Eric stands up and really tells you what he thinks. And, and no, you know, I, I, I like what's happening with image. Certainly, we're getting a lot of creativity in there. And again, I want to open it up to uh, your, you guys that do cover the direct market and the book market and stuff. How, what kind of impact are these image books having? The Wednesday Warriors, we're finding it. And I also think, and I don't know if you, you folks feel this way as well, but as someone, as, as I got older, I, I still like DC and Marvel, but I wanted something different. I wasn't happy with the endings that weren't happening and just dovetailing into event and an event. So, but again, we're kind of all, we're hip to the game. We understand what's going on. The normals, is it, is it really impacting the book market? Are things that aren't attached to movies and TV, are, they, are those image graphic novels and trades making yeah, an I impact? I think there is. I think there is uh, a change going on there. Uh, I do think overall, uh, there's still a low level of awareness. I mean, and I say that uh, in, a, in a comics environment that has changed really dramatically, uh, say over the last five, five years, and certainly over the last 10 years, um, there's a, a way broader interest in comics. And I also think in, in non-superhero comics as well, but I, I, that's still the dominant um, interest, you know, uh, uh, informal information that people have. But just from what, uh, say retailers tell us there does seem to be a growing awareness of the kinds of books that are coming out of image and particularly the really big sellers like saga of course um i mean that seems to be one of the leading ways that that the people who read comics are coming to a different kind of comic it's, it's happening it seems to me but really you know it, we, we, it's, we still have a way to go i think to to get a broader range of, uh, I think, discussion around the different genres. Well, yeah, and I think that's one of Image's strengths is particularly the Image Central line, where creators can basically have a something, a story they're passionate about, get it published, get it out there, and that's what's getting us so many great things. You know, Chu, Saga, Jupiter's Legacy, and I mean, next year we're going to be on this panel, and we're probably going to be talking about how Walking Dead is the best-selling ongoing title. It's not there yet, but by next year it probably will be, and. They're not just resting on their laurels, they're bringing other titles up. They're taking advantage of the fact that they can do different things than Marvel and DC can. Marvel and DC, I mean, how many Spider-Man titles, how many Batman titles, how many X-Men titles do we need? I get them all, I read them all, but there's probably a few too many. And if there's something else for people to, to fill their reading list with, they can, they should, and they are. Well, don't you think, and Tim, this is an opportunity to get you to jump in, Guardians of the Galaxy is going to be a huge opportunity and it's going to shake people up because everyone, and Kelvin, did you see that 17 minute? I heard you guys talking yeah, about it on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, I've seen one of the trailers. I, I, I don't know if I've seen the same one you talked about. Well, actually, I, I forget who on your show was saying that they saw even like, yeah, was it like 15 actually, or 17 yeah, no, minutes no, no, of it? Kate was talking about okay. it quite a bit. She, yeah, she was like psyched. <laughs> so, <laughs> the wrestler Chris Daniels saw the LA yeah. premiere and was blown away. And I mean, this is real. I mean, because Guardians is not Spider Man. I mean, this is a D list, if not maybe a C list. I'd say a D list title that they really are 
doing what they've been doing with the obvious stuff like X-Men and, and Spider-Man and things, and everything seems to be pointed at it being a huge hit. I don't know if it's going to translate into comics or not, but it seems like that's now the role of DC and Marvel is to support the movies and TV with, you know, I mean, that's kind of the, the, the main focus of the main books. And there's room for Harley Quinn and some of these other Hawkeye and some of these other books. But yeah, like they got to play the hits to, to reinforce what they're doing on TV and movies. Well, that, that's absolutely true. And, and, and not only that, the way they describe it, or at least the way I've, I've heard Joe Casada. in fact, I did an interview with Joe in which he described, he literally described the publishing department as, as the R&D department. And that, at, the, at the time, that was for Marvel Entertainment. That was before Disney. Right. Uh, and it was the, the idea that they would try new stuff, they would see how it works. If that's still true, then three pictures from now, when Chris Hemsworth's you know, uh, deal is up, right. do we see you know, a new Thor? Do yeah. we see a new female Thor? Does Joss Whedon get his wish <laughs> and have Katie Sackhoff as Thor? I mean, I, I don't know, but yes, that's absolutely true. I mean, yeah. that is how they, they treat it. The big two treat it that way. To your other question, though, John, and, and like what Glenn said, investors don't care at all sure. what's going on <laughs> in, in the publishing business. In fact, it, it, it's a good reminder for me why I do uh, and why I, I'm so passionate about One Up on Wall Street because kind of, and we've talked about this, I kind of feel sometimes like I'm, you know, grabbing the unseen, you know, 60-year-old investor on the other end and saying, you need to care about this. You need to care about this as much as I do. Okay, no, you don't, but let me tell you why. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's that sort of thing. And, and what they pay attention to is dollar signs. And, you know, they'll, they'll pay attention to The Walking Dead because it is, you know, probably driving about... 55 to 60 percent of AMC Network's operating profit right now. Wow, Jesus! I, I wanted to ask, and, and feel free, guys, if people want to what, jump what, in. On what this, what uh, do you subject. say when they start? What do you say when investors start caring about things that aren't good? Like they go, "Listen, everybody saw Transformers. Right. Transformers must be great. Right? Everybody is uh, loved Man of Steel. Look how much money Man of Steel made. Man of Steel must be a great movie. Must be what everybody loves." You know what I? You know my response to that is when you look at it, and I, I, you know, thankfully this is true, but you can. It's anecdotal, but when you look at, you know, movies or adaptations where people who really care about this, comics fans, uh -huh. are in control and they, they're making the stuff, those ones invariably are tend to do better. The Avengers, Josh right. Whedon, Captain sure. America, The Winter Soldier, right. and the Russos. I mean, this is... It, it, James Gunn. And James Gunn. Yeah, absolutely. Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, I, I think we're seeing that if you give somebody who is A, a talent, and B, really cares about the property they're working on, they're going to do a great job. It may not be a mat, you know. It, it may not kill it, but it's not going to flop right. uh, most would, of the time. I would argue that one of the issues with Green Lantern was how much they wanted to get everything in there, yes. every last detail. And I'm right. sitting there thinking, on the page, this stuff works. On screen, right. it just leaks hokey. Yes. It's not about the special effects. It's about the ideas. Like all of a sudden, it doesn't it doesn't connect. But do you think that? Do you think that? Sorry. One, you don't think it was a, a turnoff for some fans of Hal Jordan and not John Stewart? Well, see, that's it. That's it. I mean, what they're going with is... Did everyone hear the question real fast? Sorry. Yeah. Okay, good. I just want to make sure. Uh, we'll say another thing about podcasts. Not used to people talking at you. No, that's good. No, I'm, no, no, no we we're going to we're gonna get to... We'll get, and we will. Typically, we'll, we don't have people yelling back at us. And that's a, no, that's a fair no, point. That's fantastic. Yeah. Even though there were borrowing plot lines from you know the most recent Green Lantern comics, the sensibility was very 1970s, very 80s. I mean, it, it was old right. school yeah. uh, superhero comics. It's not like the super comics that are being made today. But don't you think... I mean, just in, in, in a, in a, a follow-up on that... Um, Remind me who the who the director was. The Martin director. Campbell. Mark Campbell. Thank you. I'm right here. Could not <laughs> could not a not a comics guy. In fact, all the reporting on that uh -huh. was that he had to spend two weeks basically going to school on Green Lantern. And you know, if I'm an investor or I'm a fan, I don't want that. I want I want the sure studio hand. to spend their money on the guy that want not that is going to knows how to make a tentpole film. I want him to spend it on the guy 
that knows how to make a great film with that character. And then we'll figure out the tentpole stuff. It's pretty That's short. Just mechanics. Is, that, is that true though? Does that pan out? Like if you're looking for a new CEO to make your widgets, I don't make sure the guy has to know how to make widgets. I go, this guy did great with uh, selling copper wire. And they had, I think he can hunt, run our company to sell widgets. And they had Jeff Johns right there on set, literally right there on set. And I think that was even more of the problem because there were too many cooks in the stew. And it's yeah. that auteur versus sure. movie by committee sure. argument right. that sure. I have all the time or discussion on my podcast. With that particular movie, I, for me, I, I thought it just sort of lacked any kind of stirring malevolent human actor. I mean, what was the... Was right. Ryan Reynolds, like, right. Uh, was smoke. Uh, smoke in the... Yeah. I, I just really... Well, like Glenn said, it same, works on paper. I'm not yeah. Same problem with Fantastic, Second Fantastic Four, yeah. where they make Galactus smoke. 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 Yeah. yeah, I heard you guys talking about that, and I agree with you. Yeah. Come on. Uh, yeah, it just seemed kind of have a hole in it that for you to connect with it. So. I do want to address the question, which is I do think they missed an opportunity because Agreed. the viewing audience at the time, their Green Lantern is John Stewart. Absolutely. And so they said, hey, it's, it's going to be Hal Jordan. And everybody went, who? Right. Because and they were old, were old enough to sleep like tunes. And that was how Jordan's just fine. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, exactly. Because we've been reading it yeah, for decades. Uh, uh, right. I've, I've actually had to adjust to but, <laughs> but for me, yeah, I mean, there was a big hole in any kind of emotional connection to that movie. Yeah. So. Je sir, you had a question? Yes. Uh, do you guys feel that sort of like how Arrow and The Walking Dead are going to be going by, like, just show by show? You feel like that's a better way to do that. You mean episodically? Yeah. That they're doing like yeah, the, the problem of the week? Correct. And okay, so yeah, they were asking the, the question was do we think that Arrow and, and Walking Dead are doing it better dealing with the problem of the week, I guess, versus a, a mini series or or a two hour film? Well, I mean, well, yeah, there's certainly much more of a synergy between monthly comic books and weekly TV. Right. And, jo and Joe Q used to say that all the time that comics are just like TV, and I'm like, no, because we don't have to wait 30 days for the next chapter. We only have to wait seven. That's right. And again, now in instant, instant gratification land, I mean, you know, if you're binge watching, you, again, you can binge read comics. Well, you're going to get mini series where you're going to get them all on the same day. Absolutely. Right? Well, and that's and, and that's another wrinkle, Tim, for next year is obviously PlayStation, Netflix, Hulu. Right. Well, and look, what, look what's happening here. You know, you're going to have this coming year, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, you're going to have Tuesday, you're going to get The Flash. Wednesday you're gonna get Arrow. Thursday you're gonna get Gotham. Gotham. You're gonna, yeah, get, you're gonna Gotham. get Gotham on Thursday, and you're gonna get Constantine right. on Friday. Yeah. I zombie somewhere yeah. in there. That's right. Zombie somewhere in there. Heaven, and or, heaven or hell? What was that? Said? And and Agents of Shield is somewhere. Right. Agents of Shield also on Tuesday. And Agents of Shield is gonna run. It's, it's gonna run in two parts. It's gonna run, and in between, we're gonna give you Agent Carter. Which, is, so which is, is brilliant. Which again, beginning, middle, end. Right. Beginning, middle, end. But also that, that mid-season hiatus that TV has suddenly found for the shows that run 20 plus episodes drives me insane. And to have Agent Carter in, I'm assuming that's going to be in the middle of that. It is. Yeah, it is. And which it's makes sense because, yeah, thank it's, God. It's great. You're going to be able, it's, it's good news for television to be able to talk about something new every three months. Yep. To be able to go, we have a completely new thing, yep. and that's gonna be exciting, rather than like, hey, the thing's coming back. Yeah. Everybody stick with us. Yeah, here's a ton of reruns. Which was the major problem with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, Everyone's yeah. like, it got great at the end. And I was Small, like, Smallville, Angel, Buffy. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. the longer a show like uh, uh, Arrow hangs around, and you know, I, I watched the first couple episodes, I'm like, well, this isn't exactly. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> But the longer it hangs around, it creates its own life, yeah. its own continuity, yeah. and then you judge it on that criteria, apart, right. completely apart from the comics. It took me a while to do that. And isn't it interesting that the Arrow comic is finally, I mean, they were doing it with the digital comic, but now the regular Green Arrow comic, hey, all right, we give. <laughs> it's this version. I mean, I've seen the Flash pilot. It's really good. It's, it it's great. It's going to be, it, people it's are going to like it, and it's a lot lighter than Arrow, uh, so it's, I, I think yeah. it's really cool. Uh, but it's, it's a lot lighter than Gotham as well. It's interesting. Gotham. How many people know this stuff from, like you were saying, the TV, the movie, and stuff like that, and how much the publishers are now co-opting their creative stuff to pull those aspects into the comics? I hope so. I mean, with, with Arrow, when they put Jeff Lemire on it a year and a half ago or whatever, they, I don't want to say threw out what they had started with in the new 52. But I do. 
because it was terrible. Well, there was a lot of misfire. What they did, I just were, didn't want to say it. They went through. They went through three, at least three creative teams, if not more, in the first ten oh, yeah. issues. Yeah. You know, J. I mean, good, good guys. Dan Jurgens, J.T. Crow. I mean, they, yeah. they write good comics. And, but it yeah. wasn't. It, it, it wasn't a familiar, relatable. You know, Green Arrow. Right. And then Lemire comes in and gives us that, and then brings in um, Soriano or sorry, Sorrentino, but also um, brings in. David Wright, why am I forgetting Diggle? everything? Is he? You're, uh, you're so nervous. John Diggle. You're yeah, so Diggle. nervous to help Diggle. Diggle. So it's, it, you know, they bring in Diggle, and we're going to get um, uh, Felicity is, is going to come into, into the series as well. So they're playing with a, you know, as Rob Sockwitz likes to say, you know, the transmedia, they're playing the transmedia game. Well, Listen, I just wrote an animated movie off a video game. Like yeah, now no. these I gotta tell you, my nephews, their Batman is not Kevin Conroy anymore. Their Batman well that is Kevin Conroy. It's this. Kevin Conroy from the video games though. It's, it's they they don't have any connection to Christian Bale or the animated series. Their Batman is the one that they play on their Xbox. Mark McGill, well, though, the Harley Quinn we're getting is, is from the Arkham game. Absolutely. That's right. Well and that you know, Ben has made this point because everyone's always worried about comics for kids. And always, and they wring their hands over this. And it's like, you know, I got to tell you, I was watching Adam West as a four-year-old, and the '67 Spider-Man, both in reruns. But I mean, that's that was my introduction to these characters. And Bettis was even saying it about the Marvel Infinity uh, games uh -huh. that are that are coming out. That that's likely going to be that three or four-year-old's first version right. of Spider-Man. And luckily, they've got people from Marvel to make sure that it is consistent with what we're getting in the comics. But you know, it's and and that's fine. Let's get the other creators and the other ideas in comics and make them more like children's books. I love what like Brad Meltzer and uh, Chris Iliopoulos are doing with their with their children's books right now, and and that's more fun and I think easier for little kids to digest than all right, who's the Green Goblin and what does he do and what are his motivations? I mean, I don't know. I think that's a lot for a for a little kid that's just learning how to read to kind of digest. And comics are different than they were when, when you and I were little kids. Uh, yeah, well, they're very different. <laughs> when I was a kid, man, I grew up reading the original Marvels uh, from the early 60s, so. Um, but hey, good enough for me. I understand. Hey man, Jerry Conway, when he killed Gwen Stacy, I was nine years old, and I'm like, dude, you blew my mind in a good way. I'm like, that was exciting drama. You know what I say? I say you give a seven seven year old the multiversity, and you see if they can swim. That's how you do it. You throw them in the deep end of the pool and say, Grant Morrison, go. <laughs> you had a question, sir? Yeah, gentlemen, um, Sony with X Men and Spider Man. Uh, Sony doesn't have X-Men. Uh, Fox. Sorry, Fox has X-Men. No worries. What's it going to take for them to move back to Marvel? Oh, billions. It won't happen. Billions. Here's why it won't happen. I think billions. No, it won't, it won't happen. The reason it won't, it won't happen is because all they have to do is once every... It's, it's roughly... It's somewhere between seven and ten years, depending on the contract and depending on the on the characters. And the the scope of those contracts is so wide. So it's not just Spider-Man, for example. It's the Spider-Man universe. Mm -hmm. What makes this even more complicated is that in 2011, Disney bought back the merchandising rights. And when they did that, they gave up the right to the box office. So now, when you're looking at Sony, they can't rely on what used to be called the Spider-Man JV. And the Spider-Man JV, the joint venture, was a fund. You know, so they get all of this money and anything that was a toy related to a Spider-Man film or like, you know, a t-shirt or something like that. If it was like Spider-Man 3 or something like that, it went into this fund and then it was dispersed. And Marvel would get a little piece of it and Sony would get the bulk of it. Disney said, no, 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 no. We have Disney stores. We want that stuff in our stores. We'll take that stuff. You take the box office. So that's why you're getting every year, you know, now we're going to have villains leading Sony Spider-Man films. That's why. Because the box office is everything to them now. Is, and I, while you're doing that, I wanted to ask Tim, because it was in the news in the last couple of weeks, Rupert Murdoch making the big move, yeah. trying yeah. to buy Time Warner. I think it made fun, splashy, CNN kind of conversation. But, I mean, I, I personally don't think Time Warner would ever sell No to, way. Um, certainly not to Fox. They said, well, okay, fine, not Fox. What about a Google? What about a tech company or somebody like that purchasing Time Warner? Man, jeez. A guy in the audience says that'll never happen. <laughs>
But I well, but but the thing is, the the internet companies have the platforms, the Netflix kind of things, or Google Play, and some of these things you see that can present content. And everyone that can present, PlayStation just did it, and announcing that they're making powers. They had a, a service that was very much like iTunes and Netflix of other people's stuff. And finally, somebody said, well, why don't we make our own stuff, and that way we could get well, paid twice. Uh, uh, Sony got in just as Xbox got out, as Microsoft got out. Now, right. Sony stepped up and said, hey, we're going to do it. And Microsoft said, wait a minute, why are we doing it? Right. So they just closed their studios. And now they are not going to be in the business of making content. They're going to say, gonna... we've got this platform. Why don't we license content and just be a platform instead yeah, of owning it. You know, I just the saw... The specific thing that they said was if they if they have started production, so classic press release speak, right? <laughs> if they've started production, then they're going to stick with it. Everything else is gone. Gone. I just, I just saw an amazing documentary about Lou Wasserman who ran MCA and Universal. And when HBO was being built, people in his company said, we should do this. And he's like, absolutely not. Using that same philosophy, we'll license other people's things. Famous last words. Sure, we right. all know what happened with HBO, and sure. Lou found himself on the other end of the employment line because he didn't see where I'm things were saying, going. And I think Xbox is an exception. I'm yeah. just saying that you, yeah. two companies do do a lot of the same stuff going in opposite directions. No, no, and I get it. To see what plays out. But it just seems like to me everybody is diving in the pool because they see the potential when they see House of Cards and Orange is the New Black. Yeah. And certainly, I, I really think it's going to be very interesting There's to see. There's a lot of roadkill on that road as well. You're right. And no, I'm a Vugaru. I mean, there's a lot of people who, who oh, sure. have thought that, oh, this will be easy. We can do scripted. It's expensive. Well, it takes a lot. Like it is not easy to accomplish well on any level, and it's 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 a rough road. And that's why I wonder. And and as excited as I am for the Netflix Marvel stuff, yeah. it is expensive. And how well will it look? I mean, the Blade series. Everyone was like, "Yay!" When it was spiking, it was David Goyer and Jeff Johns and these guys doing it. Not right. that good. You yeah. Know. Well, they're put, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that Netflix is putting some some pretty big money into this because they have. They have a larger contract. They have a right. larger interest in this, right? You know, so they have licensed all of the Marvel, uh, all of the Marvel films, Marvel Studios films. They take over what is essentially the Stars deal in uh, 2016. Right. So, and once they get that, they not they don't just get it's a Disney deal. So they don't just get Marvel. They also get Star Wars. So it, it's a it's a pretty big deal for them. So they really want to do it right. Plus, Netflix has a, a a pretty good model for getting this. But he's totally right. I mean, this is it's a dangerous game. It's a game. And so if you know, Comcast may be playing it the smartest. They have, a, for example, a first look deal with with Boom Studios. I'm sorry, not Comcast. That's Fox. Fox has a first look deal with with Boom Studios. Okay. Um, so you know, you can tease it. You know, you can order scripts. But you don't have to go to production until you know you're you're ready to go to production, and I you know there are a lot of hoops as you can attest to. There's a lot of hoops you got to go through until you get to production. Powers has been in production for what eleven years. Yeah, this yeah. is its third script and its second showrunner. Yeah, but I also I think got green lit. exactly, and again because Sony was always part of the deal and got tired of being partners with people that weren't willing to pull the trigger, and they're like, well, I guess we can do it. Right. And I and yeah, I think it will be interesting to see. How many people that are gaming people are going to want to, you know, support this, or more people to join the network if they're not gaming? It's it's that in particular is an, an interesting place to go. I, are there more questions? Because you know, I, I, absolutely. I mean, we can keep talking amongst ourselves, but go ahead. Uh, you mentioned the, the, the rights issue between your studios. There was a rumor a couple months ago that Marvel was was considering either canceling or yeah, it was a bleeding cool. Yeah. Right. Oh, the Fantastic Four rumors, the the question, and yeah. Did you see any credence in those? Is, is such a, I mean, is that conceivable? I, I don't believe it. The and and the reason I don't believe it is because it it doesn't add up. But I can see why that is. I I can see why that rumor persists because when you hear about what they plan to make as the Fantastic Four. It's not the Fantastic Four. It's not even going to resemble the Fantastic Four. It'll be a coming-of-age story that will be very dark about powers as disabilities, essentially, and then dealing with that and trying to figure it out. That may be very interesting, especially if you like Josh Trank's Chronicle. 
But if, you like, if you like Chronicle, you may love his take on the Fantastic Four, but it will not be reminiscent of what you're seeing in, in Marvel Comics. So it just, it, 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 it doesn't add up. Now, on the other hand, the way they describe it, or at least the way Bleeding Cool described it, is that you have to factor in the Ike Perlmutter factor, and maybe you guys can speak to this better than I can, because I don't, I don't know the man, but that there is a, an obsession over getting those rights back, so we don't want to do anything that supports a movie that's not coming from Marvel Studios. That may be true. I have no way to verify that. Well, I, I can say anecdotally that like when um, the Ken, uh, or rather the Ed Norton Hulk movie, before, like within weeks of its release, Marvel was just like from a from a the publisher standpoint was like uh, that's not our movie and I'm like yeah but it's got the Hulk and I mean this is an opportunity to sell more Hulk comics and stuff and it was because there were creative differences Norton had a more active role as a producer in the film and they basically said all right fine for this movie that's why now Mark Ruffalo is the Hulk and that's but why it, and typically the movies don't increase the comic book sales that's exactly what I was going to ask yeah, that's what I was okay, going to so wait, what what I mean what does happen. Okay, there, there are kind of two types of movies in this regard. You've got like the 300 and Sin City or Watchmen where it's based on a particular, essentially graphic novel, collection and trade or whatever. Okay. That'll bump the, the sales of the trade. Gotcha. But when you've got something like Iron Man or, or any of these the kinds of the ongoing stuff, well, which title do they go to? The title doesn't match what they saw in the movies. It, just, it doesn't play out. So would they put Fantastic Four on hiatus during the duration of promoting that movie? They'd lose... Uh, 30,000, 35,000 in sales for a bit. It, yeah. it, it's it, a drop in the bucket. Yeah. They could afford that, you know? But when Iron Man came out on DVD, I forget if it was the first weekend or first week, if you took one half of 1% of the sales of that DVD and those people got the next issue of Iron Man, it would have doubled in sales. Wow. And it didn't happen. And it didn't. <laughs> Same thing with Iron Man 2. I, I haven't done the numbers on Iron Man 3 yet. I don't have the, the DVD or Blu-ray sales. But yeah, it just it doesn't translate. But I think it makes people more predisposed to read comics. Because again, I grew up on the Super Friends cartoon. I mean, I think all of us can go back and say that there was something on TV that sparked our interest in the genre, in the, creative, in the characters, and, and, and so forth. But again, that was to that old model of superheroes and stuff. And Calvin, again, I, I, I look at where, where the book market is, and it seems like the, you know, there's, the survival of the book market is in question. Maybe not as much as it was at one point a couple of years ago when you know, Amazon and things were, were doing it. But like, yeah, I mean, where are the new comic readers? I mean, do you, do you have numbers? Do you know where they're coming from? Um, well, what, I mean, what I hear, they're, they're, they're coming from the places in the book market where the readers are. They're, they're coming from libraries. They're coming from, uh, well, they're coming more and more from, from bookstores and from book chains. I mean, obviously, the loss of Borders uh, uh, yeah. was a tough Huge. blow, yeah. uh, particularly to the manga market. Um, Devils but, do, I know, but, too, but, even but, like I mean, publisher. I do believe, to some extent, they are coming from uh, the digital platform now. I do think that, I mean, uh, this is what retailers are telling us. Um, they were uh, the same retailers who seem to be terrified of uh, digital in 2008, 2009, uh, they seem to have changed uh, uh, as we see day and date become broader. And we are hearing more often that, indeed, now we, you can argue about how big an audience this is, but they are coming from that. I think what you were seeing, um, if you follow the book trade and you look at and you follow, follow children's publishing, that's real. That's really where comics are really growing big, and they're growing in a number of places in the book table, but particularly in kids' comics. That's good uh, you have uh, 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 platforms like Scholastic Book Fairs, and if you know about Scholastic Book Fairs, they sell an insane number of, of books. It, it, <laughs> the numbers are off the charts, and this is really uh, where kids now. Uh, and, and Yannette's Classic has its own graphic novel line, which they did not always have. Mm -hmm. So I see more and more um, young readers getting the comics, uh, get, uh, and the more and more comics being made. I mean, at, a, at one point several years ago, the, you know, there was talk of not, you know, there not being enough material. I don't know if we're there anymore. There's an enormous amount of material being done uh, directly for kids, for, for YA audiences. So, I, I'm, I'm 
very optimistic, and the book the book market isn't going anywhere. I think digital and print work together. Yeah. At the end of the day, you're going to see some up and down. I guess at the top end of the numbers for print, but at the end of the day, these two, these two the formats support each other. Digital sends people to buy um, uh, to buy print, in my view, and uh, and and you you can constantly look at well, basically that's what print readers do. I think more and more they're they're using digital to find out things that. Uh, to read things on the go and to find out about things that maybe they hadn't hadn't heard about. Another audience question? Uh, yeah, so what do you guys think about uh, Amazon rolling out Amazon Unlimited and what do you think of Comixology's roles? I was hoping we'd get into that a little bit. Uh, and Comixology Submit, too. Which yeah. Is the the self-publishing side of that is extremely interesting. Well, and, and yeah, how, how does all that change once Amazon well, so, we don't know just yet. Right. I mean, and, you know, and, and, they so, aren't saying. Right. Uh, but I think you can expect to see more and more. I mean, uh, there was an announcement today. Uh, the DRM-free download. DRM-free. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, that's huge. Thing. That's this, huge. This, I mean, I, I continue to believe that the more digital we see, the more you're going to see people buying books. I, I, don't, see, I don't see them completely at odds. Miss in the back, did you, did you, yeah, did you have a question? I was wondering if she was considering us experts at villains or, or how. We're expert villains. <laughs> uh, we've always been misunderstood. Look, uh, let me just say, as, as someone who just wrote Assault on Arkham with uh, the Suicide Squad, villains are super fun to write because they don't have some of the same limitations that a hero will. Uh, also, because they their wants are very much at the surface, they can act on those wants immediately. They're the kind of people who they're like, you know what, I don't like you. I think I'm gonna kill you right now. So that's super fun. Whether I want them all to fight for truth, justice in the American way, not necessarily. I, I, I say, let a villain be a villain. There you go. I'm, I'm afraid we're gonna have to stop and then leave it there, but I'm oh, really man. happy with the discussion oh. that we had. Uh, listen to their podcasts. And watch their video podcasts as well, their vlogs. Good stuff. Now, thanks a lot for coming out, guys. Thank you. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.